May we affirm our faith with joy and a willing spirit as we hear today's scripture. Our reading is from John chapter 21, verses 1 through 14. All these things Jesus showed himself to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he showed himself in this way. Gathered together there were Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach, but the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, you have no fish, have you? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net to the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in <clears throat> because there were so many fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that, it was, heard that it was the Lord, he put on some clothes, for he was naked, and jumped into the sea. But the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from land, only about a hundred yards off. When they had gone ashore, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And though there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. This is God's word to God's people. Which we 
Do you think I gave Don long enough scripture to read today? I'm going for the record. I, I'm hoping that I made it. Can anybody check on the stats to see if I got the longest scripture? Uh, today's scripture lands us at the end of the Gospel of John. The final chapter presents us with yet another post-resurrection appearance of the newly risen Jesus. At the 9 o'clock service, uh, Pastor Walt said something that stuck with me. He said uh, that it was as if we are basking in the glow of the resurrection. And my question to you, are you still feeling the glow of Easter? Are you still feeling that joy and that happiness that comes as we celebrate Jesus being resurrected? In my sermon, I would like to propose an important takeaway from these 14 verses. God always finishes what he started. Even when people are complicated or unreliable, which you know that we are sometimes, we can trust that God will find a way to bring his work to completion. Many people choose to be some, uh, a part of some team sport when they're in school. Uh, I was one of those masochists who thought, cross country sounds fun. <laughs> running, then more running, and then more running. That's what I want to do. Uh, with other sports, you run to warm up, but with cross country, you warm up to run. A lot of people I know hate running, and I'm sure there's some of you that are like, yep, that's me. You, na- you nailed it. Uh, I could take a hard pass on running. I, I did enough in PE earlier in my life, and I'm, I'm done with that. End of story. But I loved running. Um, I loved most the feeling that you get uh, after a race when you realize that you were able to push through those tired, exhausted legs and those burning lungs and cross the finish line. I felt, so, I felt when I was crossing that line, which is often where the finish line was often the place where the race also started, I felt as though simultaneously that I was in a new place and an old place. It was the same place where I lined up and dug my toes into the dirt, waiting for the start of the race with beads of nervous sweat running down my forehead and feeling like I was going to puke uh, just from the anxiety wondering if I was going to perform well. But that same place I reached the second time, I felt I had become somebody different, somebody stronger, faster, more mentally tough as I was making my last few strides across the finish line. The full circle journey was complete, and I could come back, or I could look back on the race, knowing that I had a lot of people to thank for it, my coach who, was, who had trained me, my teammates who had challenged me to push my body to the limit, and my family stationed at different places on the course cheering me on. In the story from John that we just heard read, we encounter a much, much more grander and more powerful full circle experience. It has layers. Perhaps you could even read it on three levels. First of all, it's Peter's story. We notice in the scripture that Peter shows up. He becomes sort of one of the main characters, and you, you see him doing things, and you hear from him. But it also belongs, this story, to the rest of the seven disciples who were there. And finally, it's our story, because it speaks to everyone who would follow Jesus 
and who occasionally wonders how it will end up, how things will work out. Peter, uh, as, we, as we read through about him in the Gospels, is not actually the type to sit around mulling over how things will work out or brooding over how things went wrong. We find him in this story at Water's Edge where he just makes an impulsive decision. I'm going to go spend the night fishing. Probably because he doesn't know what to do next and is still trying to make some sense of what's happened in the most recent events and is most comfortable in a boat because, after all, Peter was a fisherman when Jesus first called him to follow him. In this sudden turn of events most recently, he went from sitting at the feet of a rabbi whom he loved to agonizing over watching him being nailed to a cross on a hill just outside the gates of Jerusalem. Even after learning that Jesus was somehow alive again and even seeing it, he still is unsure about what's next. Have you ever found yourself at an impasse? Have you ever been confused or uncertain about the next step? Maybe you're in that space right now, stuck in the in-between, waiting for the courage or the wisdom to move forward, thinking about the recent past, or the, new, the near future that seems to be hidden from you. It can be maddening, right? Not knowing what's happening next. It takes a lot of courage and patience, which doesn't come natural to all of us, doesn't it? You know, how many of us are great? How many, how many of us are masters of patience? Not too many, I think. I can certainly say I'm not one. Uh, you know, we struggle, I think, with having to wait for the next thing. And yet, life is full of all these pauses. You know, checkout lines at the grocery store when they're short-staffed. DMV lines pretty much any day of the week. Delayed callbacks for potential jobs from future employers. Traffic when there's a wreck on the freeway or the 405 in general. Shall I go on? More than ever, we are a right-now culture. We've been accustomed to two-day shipping or fast pass at Disneyland or instant streaming on Netflix. We like it now. We don't want to wait. We just like having it right now. Yet, I would challenge you to think that waiting and anticipation is in the spiritual DNA of, of us as Christians. The people of Israel, as we read in the Old Testament, waited and waited for the promised Messiah. Followers of Christ today wait and wait for his return. And in that waiting, we believe that God is present, helping us along the way, helping us to round out the story and bring us full circle. Some of you may be familiar with a Dutch Catholic priest, professor, writer, and theologian by the name of Henry Nouwen. Uh, he wrestled with depression his whole life and was intimately familiar with this feeling of self-doubt in the midst of his personal struggles. And he had some poignant words about living through uncertainty. He said, waiting is a period of learning. The longer we wait, the more we hear about him for whom we are waiting. There's another longer excerpt from one of his books that I'd like to share with you. He says, how do we wait for God? We wait with patience. 
nothing really surprising there. But patience, this is the, where it, it hits me. Patience does not mean passivity. Waiting patiently is not like waiting for the bus to come or the rain to stop or the sun to rise. It's an active waiting in which we live in the present moment to the full in order to find that there are signs of the one for whom we are waiting. The word patience comes from the Latin, word, uh, Latin verb patior, which means to suffer. Waiting patiently is suffering through the present moment, tasting it to the full, and letting the seeds that are sown in the ground on which we stand grow into strong plants. Waiting patiently always means paying attention to what is happening right before our eyes and seeing there the first rays of God's glorious coming. I like that phrase, uh, paying attention to the things that are happening right before us. Because if you're reading this story uh, in John, you notice that Jesus' disciples, the 12 people that had followed him around, listened to him, done everything with him, don't recognize Jesus when he's standing at the shore. It's really interesting. Uh, For some reason, they aren't paying attention to what's happening around them. And it's hard to say why they don't recognize him. But... Whatever the case is, one thing that we can be sure is that Jesus has gone out to find them. Isn't that assuring that sometimes when we feel like maybe we're lost or we're not sure what the next step is, we have a God that comes and finds us. You can make an argument that perhaps Peter was actively waiting by launching out to sea just thinking out loud, maybe. Whatever you think of him here, though, whatever it, whether he's actively waiting or putting out or putting off his calling, Jesus has come to bring things full circle for Peter, for the disciples, women and men alike, and for us. This is not just Peter's story. It's the disciples' story, too. Notice how Jesus' mode of appearing and revealing himself to the disciples is through what he does and not what he looks like. It's difficult to say, you know, why they weren't able to recognize him, but they do recognize him from his teaching. We read in Luke 5 that one of Jesus' first interactions with his disciples is at the Sea of Galilee, where his instructions to them results in a catch of fish so large that their nets begin to break. They they, they begin to tear. They're having a difficult time pulling them into the boat. And Jesus uses this as an opportunity to teach them that following him means becoming fishers of people, making disciples of others, just as Jesus will disciple them, inviting other people into the life in Christ, which he's invited us to, into. So it should come as no surprise that the disciples in John 21 quickly begin to identify that man on the beach with their Lord as soon as their nets begin swelling with fish. Almost like a Pavlovian response, the disciples know in their hearts that has has to be Jesus reaffirming their call to do God's work in making disciples for the transformation of the world which is what we're all about as Methodists, right? The location is important for the gospel writer. 
If you're paying close attention as you read through the Gospel of John, you'll be able to recognize in these 14 verses a drama chock full of images and allusions from an earlier story that took place near that same sea that now take on a new meaning. The Sea of Tiberias, which is more commonly known as the Sea of Galilee, is the place where Jesus famously fed five to 5,000 on top of that mountainside overlooking the Sea of Galilee. And where Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. With this in mind, we find in today's scripture a reenactment of the miracle of the fish and loaves through Jesus offering the disciples on the beach bread first and then fish. Later on in this service, we'll be taking communion. And you might say that Jesus' meal with the disciples is a communion of sorts. He's breaking bread with the disciples in a first breakfast following the Last Supper. By offering them the bread, he's offering himself to them once again. It's a sacred moment in which Jesus, as the bread of life, is extending to the disciples a refreshed commission to go and make disciples. The same people that in the moment of Jesus, in in Jesus' darkest moments, had abandoned him and felt afraid and were unsure what to make of it, those same disciples, Jesus invites them back. Jesus calls them to continue following, to don't stop, but finish the story that God has started in you. And perhaps today, as we're taking communion, we can think about that. Think about Jesus extending that same bread to us and offering that same life. In one last layer of John chapter 21, this is our story. We've come face to face with Jesus in our daily lives, I hope. We have come to know firsthand the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we've seen that committing ourselves to a life of discipleship is worth it. Everyone here is probably familiar with the saying, give a man a fish, feed him for a day, teach a man a fish, feed him for a lifetime. Jesus' fishing lesson in this passage teaches us that there is abundant life in God for those who seek it. So much so that when Jesus' disciples reel in the fish from that catch, that there's more, more than enough to feed themselves. There's plenty, plenty to feed others. My prayer today is that we will be energized by the Spirit to find fresh inspiration and revive motivation to continue being a faithful people of God. Whether we've just started down that road of following Jesus or have been doing it for some time, God is not finished with us. In my time as a cross-country runner, I encountered people on the race course who were slowing down because of fatigue, stopping to walk even, looking behind them to see if someone's going to pass them. On a rare occasion, people actually just dropping out of the race because of an injury. But in all my time, I've never witnessed a runner stopping halfway through the course because it seemed like a good enough place to stop. I've never never once heard anyone say, yeah, this is fine, seems like a good enough place, I've I've done a good enough job. Likewise, may we never pretend that our journey with Jesus Christ is over 
even when we're feeling uninspired or bored or unable to see God working or hear him speaking into our life. I pray that we'll remember that God is still doing new things in the world because he loves us. I pray that we will go to God today like Peter, who in an overjoyed frenzy could barely find the time to throw on clothes as he's diving into the Sea of Galilee, swimming as fast as he can to get to Jesus. I pray that that we will come to God with that same excitement. In doing so, may we celebrate the beautiful truth that God always finishes what he started and brings us full circle. Amen.